Hello, welcome back. This is Antonio from Film Babble uh, in the editing room here. Um, you're listening to the first episode back since the hiatus we took this summer um, in solidarity with the Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild of America going on strike. Um, the Writers Guild strike ended uh, a couple weeks ago and the strike, well, I think maybe a couple months ago, um, and the actor strike ended, I think, last week. So we're going to hit the ground running here and uh, get back to it. Um, so if you're listening, thank you very much for sticking with us. Um, it's kind of a, it's kind of been a difficult and, and complicated time uh, for us creatives out here, the actors, the writers, uh, trying to figure out how to achieve fair and equitable compensation. And um, yeah, I mean, shout out to the to the union members out there. Shout out to the actors. Um, you've, you've got the support of the people over here at Film Babble. So, and, and we hope you support them too, dear audience. Uh, so th- you're about to listen to uh, Ugetsu, an episode on Ugetsu. We, f- we recorded this months ago before the strike ever happened. So Bear that in mind as you listen. These are old episodes. And, and we have a couple, um, roughly the next six, I think, five or six episodes were recorded before the strike. So again, bear that in mind. They are dated. Um, we are, you know, we're talking about movies from the 50s and 60s, so it shouldn't affect the experience too much, but you should know that. Um, yeah. This is very exciting. We're very excited to get back to it. Um, oh, yeah, the bonus episode. So uh, we released a bonus episode uh, on certified copy that has been available for about a week at the time of this episode's posting, maybe two weeks. And um, we have yet to post another bonus episode um, because the strike ended before we could. And Charlie and I talked and we figured, hey, we'll do it anyways. We said we were going to. So expect that in the next couple weeks. We'll drop another bonus episode. It's going to be on one of my favorite movies. I won't tell you which one until we do it. So watch out for that. Um, and yeah, I think I think that's I think that about sums it up. We're very happy the strike is over. Um, we're hoping things have changed for the better. It looks like it has. And we're just more than anything excited to get back to talking about great cinema and 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 to talk about it with you guys. So um, again, thank you so much for listening. Um, enjoy this episode on Kenji Mizuguchi's film Ugetsu.
Hello. Open course to the Virgin Sea. Hey, Antonio. Hey, man. What's going on? Uh, not much, man. Just hanging out with you. Ooh. What? That's crazy. crazy. Well. What are we doing today? We are going to watch a movie. What movie? Ugetsu. Ugetsu. Mono, Monogatari. I don't know any more than that. There's a there's a second thing. It's like a rest of the title. Yeah. There's a, there's a other part of the title <laughs> that we aren't part. saying. Um, well, I don't know it. I don't know what year it's from. I don't know who directed it. Welcome to Film Babble. Or by the way. <laughs> um, I'm Antonio. I'm Charlie. Okay, so this film, Ugetsu, that we're going to watch today, also known as Tales of Ugetsu, or Ugetsu Monogatari. Um, I'm actually very excited to see this. Me too. And I'll tell you why. Um, it's directed by Kenji Mitsuguchi, um, who is, in my perception of Japanese cinema, one of the three kind of titans of classic Japanese cinema. The other two being Akira Kurosawa and Yasujiro Ozu. Okay. Both of whom I love, and I've seen a bunch of their movies. And they're both so bold. Their movies are so bold and unique, formally. Um, and it's that's just a consistent thing that I've found watching Japanese films, is that they're all so bold. And I've never seen a movie by Mitsuguchi, so I'm coming in with like, I don't know how this is going to go, but it's going to be something I haven't seen before. Um, it's it, This is a big one. This has been a long time coming. Hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of classic Japanese cinema, so has this I'm very excited. Has this been on your radar? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, yeah. So? This is like his, um, arguably his, his most famous film. I, th I think he did Sancho the Bailiff and... Oh, that the one story of the of. last chrysanthemum. Okay. Um, I I don't know. I the the thing is that I really don't know anything about Mitsuguchi. I don't know anything about his style. I don't know anything about his life. Cool. Um, let's leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. What the fuck do we need a podcast for? <laughs> um. Well. Um. Well. Um. Okay. I wanted to t talk about something before we What's continue. Up, um, kind of interject here. We, our podcast is live. This is the first episode we've recorded since we've published That's true. an episode. So you're going to hear this in seven weeks. Yeah, <laughs> longer than that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I'm really excited and I, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited f for hopefully, you know, people to retain and listenership and to get here. And yeah. if you're still listening now on episode 10, as we talk about Ugetsu, thank you so much. Yeah, thank I, you. I really appreciate it. Um, we appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate it. And we're glad that you are enjoying and that there's something of merit in this conversation. Yeah, hopefully you get something out of what we say, or even if it's just chilling out, having fun, showing you some new movies, whatever you want. Um, yeah. we're, we love doing it, and we hope that anyone who's listening loves to listen as much as we love being a part of it. So Absolutely. That being said, 
this movie sucks. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I, yeah, I don't really have anything else to say. I feel very like zen today. So yeah. I'm probably not going to interrupt you. He hasn't been talking. You haven't been talking. We, this is the first time you said a word to me. As soon as I started recording, you started talking. I, don't, I kept trying to talk. I haven't I was, seen you in over a week. I was on it was, vocal rest. <laughs> <laughs> he kept dripping honey down his throat. Just raw honey. With one of those little wooden... With a, with a tincture. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are wood, wooden honey things called? Um, combs? Is that what it's called? Honeycombs? The, the thing that you... Like what the the bee? No, that's um, not wood. Those from are Honey Nut Cheerios. That yeah, he carries yeah, yeah. Around. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Is it called a honeycomb? It's a bee wand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what? I'm good with that. I'm good with calling it a bee wand. <laughs> bee wand. Um, um. Okay. Should we wow. just get down to brass tacks and? Well, what do you think about? What are you going into this movie with? You don't know anything, anything, anything. Have you? I don't know anything, anything, anything. <laughs> What about Not like Japanese thing. cinema? It's from the fifties, right? Have you seen any Japanese films? I have seen Rashomon. Okay, which which is three years before this one was sick. Yeah, um, I saw Love Under the Crucifix: The Restoration in twenty twenty two at the Lincoln Center. Which who did is, that one? It's not very well known. It was by a actually a, a female director, which was like kind of. Part of why it uh, was restored and it had a little bit of um, bu- bubbly talk. Fuck what? What? I don't know. It was like, a, what am I trying to say? I don't know. It had you um, should probably say a little it. bit of buzz. That's what I'm trying to say. Oh. Oh, I wrote. Bzz, I can't B1. talk and and uh, look this up at the same time. Um. So you talk. Bzz. Oh, Love and the Crucifix is from 62 by Kinuyo Tanaka. And she was uh, like a really popular Japanese actress, I believe. She was, she was in Ugetsu. Ugetsu. Oh, well, there we go. Let's see. And was the she, life of Oharu. She was one of the, ma- she's one of the main characters in Ugetsu. And she directed uh, Love and the Crucifix, which I saw. And I was a little bit baffled by it. And I felt like maybe it was a poor, like the subtitles weren't translated very well because uh-huh. I didn't really, like I, I found them a little bit uh, wow. bad. Okay. And I went with my friend Joe's and they fell asleep. But Oy. I was glad to have seen it. It was interesting. But I think that might be the extent of my, wow. you know what? Um, Godzilla movies are Japanese, right? Yeah. I've seen a ton of like Godzilla movies. Oh, that's fun. From like early, early that's crazy. She was in. She's worked with Ozu. She's worked with Naruse, and um, obviously Mitsuguchi. And wow, a lot of Ozu movies. That's cool. Okay, um, that's the interesting thing too. Is like a lot of these actors um, in Japanese films around this time. Not all of them, but a lot of them like hop around because you'll see. Takashi Shimura, for example, in a bunch of Kurosawa films, but you'll also see him in um, some other. Like he was in Godzilla. He was in the original Godzilla. Oh yeah, Takashi Shimura. I believe he he did some Ozu stuff. Chishu Ryu is like Ozu's oh. guy. Yeah, he's a, he's in a lot of his films. He also did some Leone too, right? 
Chicharito? I don't think he was in <laughs> Once Upon a Time in the West. <laughs> he was the guy with the harmonica, right? Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was he was um the the woman who enters and <laughs> I believe. I could be wrong. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna leave myself open to being wrong about that. <laughs> Either way, they they um, you'll see them a lot. So the more Japanese movies you watch, the more, it, the easier it is to be like, hey, I recognize that guy. He okay. was in Akiru. It, it's fun. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to see Akiru. Is it on this list? It is, of course it is. It's in like the top twenty. Really? Uh huh. I've been. I've. It's. I've been wanting to watch it for so. Long. It's one of the best movies of all time. Yeah, we'll get to that. You're crying. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I don't know. Did we do it? Let's. Why don't Why don't we go watch this movie? Nah. We didn't do it. Um, well, I I got to run, so. Holy shit. Charlie, come back. <laughs> He's just headfirst into a wall. <laughs> you fall. Let's start this. <laughs> All right. Ugetsu, we will be right back. watched Ugetsu, um, kind of not really. We recorded about 18 minutes of our conversation, and then I dropped my little recorder here, smashed, and it didn't record any of it because um, it shut off, so it didn't save the recording. Um, so we're back, uh, and yeah, we watched Ugetsu. <laughs> This is crazy. I have like deja vu. Yeah, I feel like I've been here before. <laughs> well, um, to repeat, what <laughs> so I, I, we can ask the typist. Um, we loved it. Yeah, um, this movie was so fucking great. Just general, my general thoughts about this movie, man. It was fucking awesome. It is a ravishing film and it's kind of like, I don't want to say unsuspecting, but I definitely, it, it, it knocked my expectations out of the park. And even like 10 minutes into the film, I was still like, eh, what is I'm not going to, I'm not really sure if I'm going to fall into this, yeah. but I really shortly after did. And it was so like fucking seamless. So seamless. Yeah, I agree. It it took me a while to um, the first first twenty minutes. I think before um, the soldiers kind of come to the village mm. when they're just kind of hanging out and doing stuff. I was a little like, what? What is? What is this going to be? Um, just like the family drama. Yeah, yeah. Not not super invested in anything mm -hmm. and just kind of whatever. And then it totally just sucks me in. Yeah. I, I, I was super into it. Um, before we get into discussing the movie a little more in detail, I would really highly recommend that anyone who is listening, um, who hasn't seen this movie, who doesn't know a thing about it, go and check it out. Um, I know how it sounds, you know, 50s, black and white, Japanese 
film might not sound like the most exciting thing to some people. But if you're listening to this, chances are you like movies. Um, and Or you have an open mind. Or you have an open mind. Surprising um, yourself. So go check this one out. It's really special. I think it'll surprise you. Um, I think fans of... Um, who do you think would like this movie? David Lynch fans, maybe? Probably. I don't know. It's its own thing. Who cares? Yeah. Um, there's there's just some dreams stuff in it. There's some mm-hmm. spirit yeah, stuff. I hear you. In it, that's that's fans of Hitchcock, maybe. <laughs> um, Paul Schrader. <laughs> Either way, um, Russo brothers. Check. <laughs> uh, check but. it out. <laughs> No, um, but yeah, that's that's my little disclaimer. Uh, for some reason, I just felt strongly that 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 should be said because this movie was really great. It really took me by surprise, and you know, like we said earlier, um, that this is the one out of all the movies we've watched that I think has that that I haven't seen before, which is I don't I don't know which the other ones are that I haven't seen, but. This is a first time watch for me and it really like took my fucking breath away and landed in a way that none of the other movies have. Um, I loved it. There are parts of this movie where I was really thinking this is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. Mm. Um, and yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to just do like a little bit of plot just so you can follow along the conversation. Cause we're going to talk about like, the different devices the film uses to explore um, like reality and relationships and like mental state. And I yeah. feel like, I feel like if you know, at least have an, a, a, either if you've seen it before and you need a refresher or, you know, you you chose to disregard. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't care, frankly, but um, yeah, anyway, just, just to ground you in the conversation. Uh, basically it is in early 16th century, Japan, it's feudal Japan. The 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 A civil Brit- war rages. Yes, a civil war rages. There's a there's like a prologue kind of thing, and it mo- mainly follows two families who are next door neighbors. One is just a couple, man and uh, wife, and and then the other is mother, father, child, yeah. son. And uh, the protagonist is this guy named Genjiro, who is a farmer and a pottery on the a potter on the side. And side hustle. Yeah, side hustle. And at the beginning of the film, after we learn that it's you know civil war rages, uh, he decides to go out and sell his wares to some troops or some people. I don't know. The whole the whole idea is that during wartime is a great time to make money. Yeah, because everyone is a little bit. Everything's in flux. Mm-hmm. So he goes and out. some of the dialogue comments on that, right? Yeah. yeah. And his neighbor friend, Tobey, comes with him because he wants to be a samurai. And that's a whole other thing. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but so he goes out and he makes a lot of money and he's really successful and he's really excited. Meanwhile, the town wise man, what was his position? I um, forget. Chief. Chief. The chief. Was it the chief? The chief. Who I like think. sees. Mm-hmm. The thing on his face, his expression. What are you talking about? No, the chief who talks to his wife while he's gone and says, and basically says, well, tell him to be careful because money made in wartime does oh, not last. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And 
basically he warns her that monetary prospects will inspire a kind of greed and a kind of delusion or something. Yeah. And it just cautions her about her husband, mm -hmm. which um, doesn't ever come up again. It's not foreshadowing. It's completely just... Thanks for mentioning it. Yeah. Everything for the rest of the film is, is a really temper, temperate relationship with money, I'd say. Temperate? Actually, temperate. Temperate. Like tempe? Anyway. Um, oh, oops. So yeah, so like the first act is the oh. soldiers come right after the two guys have just finished a huge thing of, or they're in the midst of finishing a huge batch of pottery that they were going to sell and try yeah. to like capitalize on this boom. And uh, the soldiers come and they have to evacuate. And the men don't want to evacuate because they don't want to leave their pots and pans and mm -hmm. bowls and shit in the kiln. But the, they get run out. Yeah, their, the and their wives are like, we have to leave or you are going to die. Are, like, what the hell? Yeah. And then they come back for all their shit um, against the wishes of the women. And they come back and find that it was all finished and all the shit is ready to be sold. So they're like, all right, let's go to the town and sell all the pottery and make our money. Um, and everything's great. So they head over. They go on the trip to, to this town. They try to cross the lake. Um, near their town or whatever, um, and they see like a ghost or something, like a body. No, they yeah, it's so, like a dead guy. So there's this amazing, yeah. The scene on the lake is really. That's when the movie starts to kind of like pick it up a notch in terms of um, aesthetics. And... Yeah, yeah. The fog mm, on the lake, it's, it's it's crazy, and it's, then it, yeah, it's gorgeous. It's so it's this shot of the lake and the fog, and they kind of just appear through it. Yeah, and um. The uh, Tobe's wife, Ohama, is singing in this like really high kind of like wail. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very eerie. It's very yeah. cool. Uh, and then they see another boat come near them. Mm -hmm. And there doesn't appear to be anyone in it. And then they find this half dead guy. But at first they think, oh, gosh, it's the ghost of the lake. But it, it turns out to be this guy who's just been attacked by pirates. And he asks them for water, gives them a warning. They're pirates, you know, be careful on the way to wherever they're going. And then, then he, he dies. He croaks. Yeah. Croaks like a frog. Um, so they're like, all right, this shit's bad. So then they decide to split up. Which um, is always. Yeah. Like, always on, a good guys, idea. Fucking assholes. Um, so the, they figure the best way to split up is to have the mom and the child walk alone. Mm -hmm. And then, um, <laughs> right, the best way. While, while there are like soldiers pillaging yeah. and, and like take, you know, you guys walk alone. We're going to take the boat. Me, me being the father, the uh, Tobe and Ohama. and Ohama, we're going to be on the boat and go and figure this shit out. And let's go meet in that town. So they go to the town and then the rest of the movie kind happens. of happens. Happens. That's it. Um, the mom goes on her little story. Um, each, each character kind of gets in their own thing. Except for Genichi. Yeah. Well, like little kid is kind of just, he doesn't really get a plot arc. You know what? We need I'm to sick raise. Of this. Yeah. <laughs> Give the raise child, his voice. make a more interesting character development for children, please. <laughs> he just sleeps the whole time. Yeah. And cries. He's chilling. Yeah, he's chilling. I wish I was him in that movie. Yeah, he's pretty funny. 
Yeah, the, each character has their own kind of like plot thread, and each of them is so fun to me. Yeah, I I love the the folk sense of it. I love the mythical mm-hmm. sense of these stories. There's like a um, I thought of Dostoevsky actually a lot during mm. this because of the um when we were talking about this before but there there is a sense of groundedness in the um the the movie kind of switches in between dream worlds and spiritual worlds and paranormal stuff and reality and um there's this real palpable sense of groundedness and um like objectivity yes almost yeah yeah in these like real situations um man i kind of lost my point what was i talking about sound you're talking about how it reminded you of dostoevsky like yeah 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 yeah. and And so you're seeing during these more real sections um you're seeing these people you know deal with these larger situations of war and cruelty and general barbarism and whatever um but there's this sense of like uh, like it's like humanism or something the way the way they are and this is near the beginning of the film for me okay when it when i started getting these comparisons in my head um of people just dealing with something together and um I don't want to say melodramatic. It's not a melodramatic movie, but it's very dramatic. And there, and, and there's this grand sense of people dealing with something bigger. Yeah. And um, I mean, they are at the, the precipice of life and death pretty, pretty quickly, pretty early into the film. Yeah. Um, in a way that Antonio questioned, you know, like, where is this going to go during act yeah. one? Because it, it gets to a, a level of you know heightened intensity that's kind of like wow we're we're starting here yeah yeah but that's i think i totally going off what you said i think that that's what's so interesting about it is that it begins like rising up to the to the height of of the human kind of experience and like emotions are running high it's a fight for survival and then it starts to leak over into the world of like dreams and supernatural and yeah. spirits. And that's a really interesting threshold that it like pushes against. And I think that like having it start so high and so hot mm-hmm. is what allows it to kind of like. It like cools off. It steams. Yeah. But it also like bubbles over. What do you mean? Like, like reality. Like we get to the top of, of what, what is like, you know. Um, conceivable or like what you could conceive of like with, with uh, enduring mm-hmm. and, and then it starts to go kind of past it. And I think it's yeah, because yeah, it's I at the you. limit. You're, you're pushing a limit and then it, yeah. What happens? Yeah. What tricks it's your mind? It's super play cool. On you? And, and it, and all of this is done through the medium of cinema. All of this is done with sound and editing and framing and camera and music. And it all combines and it just makes the performances, man. 
fucking performances in this movie. And it's crazy because they're not actor performances to me at all. Um, though they're very dramatic. There's, I feel like acting in this movie, I feel like these actors must have had a sense of modesty to them, at least with, with making this movie because it's, it's juicy, you know, it's good. There's like, especially for Wakasa who's mm. being oh my God. spooky and the, her. and the, her maid or whatever, nurse. her nurse who follows her around, who is, might be my favorite yeah. of everyone. Everyone's really great, but she might be my favorite and just her face and her voice yeah. and her expression and those eyes that pierce. Oh my God. She's, I, she's crazy. Yeah. But all this to say that um, they all feel like parts of a larger whole. There's no like, at least as like scene partners that I could feel in the movie, there was no like, I'm going to act right now. It felt like everyone was just giving themselves to this movie and to the tone of the movie. And to me, it feels like this guy, Kenji Mitsuguchi, must be an assured, cool as a cucumber, confident director of like, yeah. here's what we're going to do. It's all going to work out. And the, and the actors go, okay, I trust them. And, and it did. And the thing is, I mean, I think, I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but in my, in my view, in my, from my perspective, the mark of a really great director is when all of the performances fit together. And they are all working to serve the story and they, they complement each other, but they don't kind of come out of left field. Because yeah. I think, I think, I mean, as an actor, like a director has to be able to get you to understand their vision in a way that is just the right amount of like clarity that allows you to like explore and to be creative and to have things bubble up and be spontaneous while also like keeping you in the world with everybody else and like letting everyone fit together into the story. Yeah. Like with, with the idea of like serving the story as the the guiding light and, and that is so, yeah, that's such, so well done. So well executed in this film. Yeah. I, I agree. It was awesome. Yeah. It was so good. Was really I'm, awesome. I'm still kind of beaming from this. I mean, I, I'd love to touch on like, so, okay, to take the plot a little bit further, um, when they get to the town, which is Ohama, Tobe, and Genjiro, mm-hmm. um, Tobe runs off because he wants to be a samurai and ditches Ohama and Genjiro pretty quickly, which, you know, of course, is much to Ohama's chagrin because that's her husband. And he just leaves her in the dust. And so she goes out looking for him and then ends up getting violated by a group of stray men, soldiers, just, I mean, stray men really. And that actually touches on something that we were talking about in the previous lost recording. Um, (laughs) The archives. The film has a lot to say about gender and like the power disparity between the genders and also like the violence that is done to women by men. Yeah. So frequently. And it's like, so, I don't know. It's just, it's almost a given in this film yeah. that men are trying to violate women. I almost said that women will be violated, but I don't, I don't think that that's, that's really what it is. I think it's that like men have the potential to violate women 
so the, the women in this film are really on edge. Yeah. And so when their husband leaves them, they're like, there are so many crazy barbarian men around who would mm-hmm. like nothing more than to take advantage of me physically and like yeah. murder me. Yeah. And that is like a really palpable fear in the film. And it gets a lot of uh, like time talking about that or experiencing yeah. that. Through yeah. The Cause there's, there's no I, explicit dialogue about that as far as I can remember. Yeah. Um, they just talk about how like women will be kidnapped and the men should stay with them. Stuff like that. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's mostly in just the things the characters do to each other. And so it, it feels to me like, uh, the movie is exploring these things as opposed to making a statement on something like it's mm-hmm. not expressly what the movie's about, but a lot of the, I guess, subtext of the movie is within these relationships, how fucking, uh, Gen Jiro, Gen Jiro, Gen Jiro, his relationship to Wakasa and his relationship to his wife and vice versa. And, uh, you know, it's every, every man and woman pairing, regardless of, you know, size in the movie, um, has a different relationship and they're all complex mm-hmm. and interesting. But I think that like the undercurrent is that the men are, are awesome. No, I think that the men in this film are by and large, except for like the priest and the chief, they yeah. are selfish. They are greedy and they disregard the requests and the interests <laughs> of their, their wives. Yeah. And the wives are like, Take me with you. Protect me. And they're uh-huh. like, no, 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 that's not smarter. And every time they're wrong. Yeah. Or or uh, Tobe. Tobe's journey is that he wants to be a great samurai. So he leaves his wife. She ends up getting raped by a group of men mm-hmm. and then becomes, uh, in her a words, prostitute. a fallen woman and, and a, yeah, a prostitute and a courtesan. And, um, um, yeah, and then he's like, when he finds her again and he's, you know, this big, wealthy, important guy now mm-hmm. because of, you know, stupid trick that he pulls. Yeah. Um, she's like, yeah, great. This is what you wanted, right? You wanted to be a great man and look at what you've done to me. There's a price. There's yeah, a price yeah. for success and it's suffering. And, and he says, no, I thought you would be proud of me. <laughs> she was like, I never gave a shit. If you yeah. were a fucking samurai, you were the only one who cared. Mm-hmm. I mean, she didn't say any of that, but that's how I felt watching it. Yeah, like, yeah. are you crazy? Yeah, yeah. But, um, um, but I, I think, I think it's, I, I found it refreshing because it feels like this is what happened. This is, feels true to life. And I mean, this happens still to this day, you know, like in Russia and Ukraine, like the talk about what the Russian soldiers are doing to women and children. Um, like it's, it's like part and parcel of war is the idea, or, or I mean, to my mind is the idea that like, there are these men who are just like taking advantage of yeah. being in a position of power. It and can bring out the worst. Yeah. Yeah. It can bring out something like animalistic. Tendencies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well said. I love Tobey. Tobey? Mm-hmm. His story is the most fun. I don't know if it's my favorite necessarily, but I loved what he was doing. Hmm. He he like 
Um, for those who've watched it, for those who haven't, he's the one who um, he wants to become a samurai, like we just said, and he uh, he he steals their money. He steals their money to to buy like some armor. He's like the treasurer of the group. He's got all yeah. the money that they've made from selling the wares. And he steals it and runs away and and buys like <laughs> shitty armor and and a spear. And then he he kind of just goes around like a little scamp and <laughs> finds um someone who's like beheading a general. Yeah, which is I think is an honor. Like yeah, like he yeah. asked him to. It was like behead me, and he's like okay. And then he takes. The, he he kills the guy who beheads the general and takes the head for himself and pawns it off to another like general, and then lord, he, the lord of the, the lord, town. yeah, and then becomes this great uh you know they give him a horse and vassals and the whole thing and he and he everyone starts asking him questions about how did you do this and he's like this is what you got to do military strategy yeah he talks about <laughs> military strategy it's so fun it reminds me of um Theon. From Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. Kind of like a just a fucking backstabbing shithead who just finds himself in this situation um, and is still compelling, even though what he's doing is reprehensible and foolish. He's like conniving. Yeah. He's a conniving little dickle. And <laughs> but you can't help but just be compelled by the the um, hypocrisy of this character of this man who who is so blatantly lying to these people and doing it gleefully well, and, and just relishing in the lie and in it's this case so fun. he's like he believes it he's like washed yeah, away I'm the shit. he's I'm the so shit. deluded i mean he really thinks that like he for in the first place he thinks that this dream needs to happen for him to I don't know, just to exist. Like he needs to be a samurai in this like yeah. super megalomaniac way. And then achieving it, he's like, I've always been a samurai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's hilarious. It's honestly hilarious. Um, and it's just, you know, it's great in that feudal story of like, you know, he spears a man and takes the head of some it's just yeah, it's just rich and juicy and fun and mm -hmm. um and also, I think like part. I think why it's popping out so much to me is that I, I think I might have been going and expecting this to be like more of a Rashomon, maybe not a Rashomon, but um, like a Seventh Seal or a, or a kind of art house movie that doesn't necessarily indulge in things like that. And violence like that. Um, you know, this movie is a highbrow, I'm using quotations, whatever, highbrow kind of movie, but it it goes there. It has violence in it. I was like, this is like a 50s. Um, this is not a real comparison. I didn't think a lot about it, but I thought about it during it. It was to me, it was like a 50s Japanese feudal version of straw dogs. Um, which are you familiar with that movie? No. Straw Dogs is a rape revenge movie from the seventies directed by Sam Peckinpah, who did the wild bunch. Mm -hmm. Um, the master of, you know, artful exploitation in the, in the seventies. Um, 
Now, is this a rape revenge movie? No. I mean, there, there's, there's rape in it and there's violence. There's brutal violence. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of suffering in this movie. Um, not that any of it is necessarily exploited like, like a movie from the 70s would. But like exploitation movies, certain exploitation movies of the 70s, they use the violence and they use those intense things to get into other stuff. You know, the Wild Bunch uses this, you know, orgasmic ending sequence of violence and opening sequence of violence to get at these characters and to talk about something a little more. It's it's like regardless of high or low, whatever the fuck, it's it's artistic, it's artful mm-hmm. and it's cinema. Um and Straw Dogs is is the closest comparison that I could find. Well, I, I mean, I question you calling this film art house or highbrow because I don't get the impression that that was like the intention. I think that like, I, well, think I doubt there's ever an intention, you know, with well, these art houses. I think they're just right. trying to express stuff but, and people but, label it as that. Right. Right. I think it, it is only highbrow because it's old and mm-hmm. well-made and well-regarded. I think that like this film has like, yeah, as you said, has the, um, the appeal of a lot of films that aren't highbrow. Mm-hmm. There's, um, well, with, with dream logic, with, with spirituality stuff in, in, um, art house movies, I, I think a lot of people, and, and I know this cause I have friends who, who feel this way, um, with certain art house movies, there's just, there's a repelling feeling of, um, Inaccessibility? I guess inaccessibility. And this movie does not have that to me. Mm. Like th- this movie is so accessible to me. I think it's it's like um, it's slow, especially in the end. The last like 10 minutes yeah. are really slow mm-hmm. and it's kind of crazy. Um, but like Tobey's story, when, when shit starts like going, like the second act of this movie is like popping off. Yeah. There's so much shit happening and it's fun. And fun, fun in that, um, in that way that chillers and horror movies can be fun of not necessarily of gore or violence. You're watching people get fucked up, but like, there's a lot of suspense. There's a lot of suspense. There's a lot of, a lot of thought provoking intensity to stuff that, um, that was so compelling to me. Mm. And, and, and it, there was obviously, you know, this movie's from 1953. There's no sort of conscious blending of, um, high and low or conscious, anything like that of, you know, genre, who cares? I don't think they cared. Um, I think it just so happens that this movie blends elements of horror of, I don't, I don't know. Well, it just I creates its own like right. thing, this own, its own magic. Yeah. In, in, that defies in, other things in the sense that it's like, you know, inspiring a certain emotion or like physical experience within you. Yeah. Um, I just like to throw it back a little bit. Um, what, what is an example of a movie? Like if you have one that has that kind of inaccessibility in terms of like art house dream logic, I don't know what, what you were referring I would, to. I mean, I just saw cries and whispers over the weekend. Okay. Ingmar Bergman. Uh huh. Um, I'll say if you're not, you know, drinking the Bergman juice 
<laughs> There's no fucking way. <laughs> There's no fucking way. Uh-huh. Um, y- yeah, it's so 70s art housey. Yeah. It's so serious. It is not funny. It is not silly. Um, great movie. I loved it. Um, but I, you know, I, that was a movie. You take someone to it. There's a chance they'll be like, fuck that. You know what? Like, yeah, fuck that. Yeah. And with Ugetsu, I could recommend it. I think that would be a safe, like, all right, you're not into these kind of movies. You're not into art house movies, but check Ugetsu out. Right. But which is funny because I feel like it would be a really hard sell for a lot of people I know. Like really? to get them to watch this film. Yeah. Well, I think anyone who's who's into spooky stuff would dig this movie. I think they dig it, but I think that this is a film that I would recommend to people and they'd be like, oh, sure, Charlie, whatever. I'm well, not watching yeah. this 1953 black no, and white. No, they, they wouldn't, but Japanese I think film. if they were but to I give it a shot. Like it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. If they were to watch it, they would, they would um, do it. Yeah, none no. of my friends would fucking do it either, but yeah, I think it, it would actually... Yeah, fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um... You it know, would work. It would I, work. I, 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 I want to, we haven't talked about the other storyline of the second half. Did you have anything else to say about like that Tobey and stuff? Cause we haven't touched on the, what happens at the manor. Kutsuki yeah. Manor. Let's talk about it. Cause that, I mean that, that, that's the, the movie's on fire. The movie's me. on fire during okay, that. So and it knows it. After Tobey and Ohama leave, Genjuro is still selling his wares in the town square or whatever, wherever he is. And there is this woman in this white veil who just looks like like striking, and he doesn't quite notice her at first. And then he looks over and he's like, well, "Who is this?" Yeah, she looks like a lady, like a gentry or something. And she's a nurse, and the nurse is inquiring after certain pots and cups and whatever for her, and selects a few and says, "Bring these to Kutsuki Manor, and we'll pay you." And he's like, "Uh huh." Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And then he goes with, I think they gave him a little bit of money. He goes with that money to this the kimono manor. store or like fabric store or something. Yeah. And he's looking at these beautiful kimonos and the guy's like, ah, you can't afford these men like you. And he's like, hey, I have money. But he has this little like dream sequence where his wife comes around the corner yeah. and she's like looking at them and she's looking at him like, wow. You got me this. You got me these gowns. Like it's it's just this really beautiful moment, and it's the first dip of the toe. Yeah, into the, first the dream. Dip, absolutely, and yeah. it's really like subtle, but very beautifully done. The music changes; it becomes a little bit more like ethereal and optimistic, whereas mm-hmm. it's been kind of like very hard and and. Um, um, well, I don't know if it's optimistic. I think it's it's a happy daydream he's having, but it's there's the context of well, she's I, gone and this yeah. is bad. No, I just think the music, the music is like, you know, oh, like okay. these strums and like these upward um moving and it, there, it's literally it is li- it's I wow, I can't believe I forgot about this. The sound, the music is the harp going up like like dream is about to happen Absolutely. i thought there was going to be a like a like a transition of like uh-huh wave but, and then he wakes up in a dream yeah but it as, was the classic dream music yeah it was pretty but funny. as like played on the shamisan or something like that yeah um and so anyway so in the dream sequence is interrupted by this woman in white and her nurse coming around again and saying do you need us to tell show you where how to get to manor and he's like uh yeah sure so they lead him out of the city, you know, around the lake through this little like marshy area up to this 
secluded manor, which turns out to be huge, like a palace. And they go in and he's just like completely dazzled. And yeah. like, you don't quite notice that things are weird yet, but they're weird. Oh yeah. Things are weird. There's um, just like, you can tell already from the performances of this lady and her nurse, like there's something fucked up. Yeah, with there's, these ladies. there's something awry. There's something awry. <laughs> ladies are weird as shit. <laughs> and um, so anyway, uh, they get into the house and, or they get to the door and the nurse says, come in, Lady Wakasi? Wakasa. Wakasa? Wakasa is waiting for you. And he's like, oh no, I should really go. And, and she's like, no, come in. You know, she's waiting for you. So he goes in and... Basically, he sits and talks with this woman who is, like, she's very striking. I think, I think, I, she's a I get the impression that she's supposed to be seen as, like, this really, this, like, pinnacle of beauty in the film. Do you get Wakasa? that impression? Yeah. 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 I mean. Well, there, there's, a, there's, um, I think that's part of it. I think. Well, that's it. That, that's also what's fun about um, the way Mitsuguchi in this movie deals with gender is that the women, though they are victims of stuff a lot, they are complex, strong characters. Wakasa, her beauty is part of her allure, but there also is this just entrancing quality to the way she walks, she glides, the way she speaks. Like you, you, I didn't believe that, um, Genji, what's his, I keep Genjiro? forgetting, Genjiro was just into her <laughs> because she was hot. There was just something about her that is feminine, that is haunting, that creates this feeling in him of you're beautiful, but you frighten me and I can't look away. She kind <laughs> of represents the idea that I have of like, of like a like a noble lady in the Japanese feudal society, uh -huh. which is kind of based off of Princess Kaguya. So I'm not sure how. I mean, I mean I'm sure like I, I have like a tiny bit of an understanding, but not anything substantial. But like in Princess Kaguya, have you seen Princess Kaguya? No. Well, did they rip it off? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, sh the main character gets like taught and tutored on how to like be a lady, like a noble lady. And it has to do with like movements and like how you expose yourself to the outside world and stuff like that. I, I didn't watch the whole movie. I was really enjoying it. I just, for, for whatever reason. On your phone the whole time. I, it, what, I watched it on my phone, so. <laughs> I probably on a plane. No, no, I was watching it um, on the channel train from Paris to London. Oh, cool. Anyway, I watched before um, sunrise on my phone in a in a hotel in Paris for the first time. The first time I watched before sunrise, I watched it on a phone in a hotel room. The first time I watched Phantom Thread was on a phone. That's so funny. <laughs> um, Two thousand one. I loved it. Are you? <laughs> well, anyway, so um, so like I think that that what you were talking about those qualities, I think those are at least somewhat representative of like a lady of the highest order in this period yeah. in Japan. Okay. So she the veil. Yeah. The veil and is like very fancy. The, the walking and stuff yeah. like that. So I interpreted it as like, he was infatuated with her because she was like, she was money. 
And she was like the highest cast. So, I mean, this whole film, he's like desperate for money and desperate for success. And like this woman who he's sitting with praising, who's praising his, his handiwork and spoiler alert demands that he marry her in order to like help fund him and, and like cultivate him as an artist. Um, she represents everything he could ever dream of yeah. having in, yeah. in terms of society and uh, class. So that was why I thought he was enraptured. I, I, I felt like she, something was off about her, but I didn't jump to witchery, witchcraft, well, no, <laughs> or something, something, something uh, like beyond. Uh, there is certainly a, an ethereal sense to her. Absolutely. I, in my, you know... It, going into it with that in mind, I yeah. I just saw that as like her being elevated because of her uh, class, just elegant. Yeah, I, well, not even elegant. I I thought she was weird, but I didn't <laughs> I didn't attribute it immediately to spiritualism, yeah. which ultimately we discovered that there's something real weird. And like right, she talks right. to him, he's in this. Oh my god! All of the shots I with I, her are incredible yeah Yeah. there's this scene where he is in a like a hot spring or something yes dude oh my god the way that it is shot is so remarkable and she's like kind of teasing him she's Mm -hmm. like walking around as he's in the water and she's like do you think i'm an enchantress or something and and he's like i don't know and he's like can you get in the water he doesn't say anything like (laughs) he he hardly ever says anything to her but anyway so she but that cut that transition yeah well there's a transition from so she gets naked off screen and like comes into the water and the camera charlie and i went boo (laughs) well the show it the camera like moves <laughs> moves away as she's you know walking so you don't see her as she gets into the water and then like it's it's one of those classic like they're about to have sex so we're gonna yeah. move the camera and it happens and it rolls off onto the ground and then it transitions so so seamlessly seamlessly yeah into a beach and they're sitting on a beach yeah on a picnic blanket under this beautiful tree and it is the coolest cut yeah, ever we had to rewind awesome. and watch it yeah we, we we ran that back but so she basically demands that he marries her so she can cultivate him as an artist and um he doesn't agree but he does not agree acquiesces he he's just he's under the spell yeah he, he gradually entrenches himself more yeah. and more in to her but when she first uh, presents it i was sure that he was gonna be like oh no i have a wife mm-hmm. but then he doesn't say anything and then she falls on him and then he hugs her and so you're like oh he just assented great and then you know you realize that there's this whole yeah. possession thing and but yeah and then he kind of swings around and well he's what's well, because he he runs into a a, a priest, priest or, or a something. cleric or something and the dude's just like you got a bad look about you. Yeah. And then they figure it out. Which, uh, again. <laughs> One of the best shots in the movie is when he's chasing them around with the sword. And and then he sees like a figure or something for like half a second. Did you see it? There was like a figure like ne- next to Wakasa and the nurse. There was just like a figure, like a black shadow figure. No. Did you not see that? No. I'll, I'll show it to you after this. Or maybe I'm making it up, but it looks like a, f- a figure. I remember that because because he's chasing them with the sword, and then there's he he stops he he turns around and runs from them, and he's like he's like cowering on the floor, like swiping with the sword as the camera pushes in towards him, oh, I and didn't he runs he all. breaks the door and runs away. 
Yeah. So so basically, it was. It's one of the best looking parts of the movie. It's I didn't catch fucking, that. Yeah. Well, I'll pull it up. I'll um, pull so it up basically, this. there's this guy who's like something. Something's wrong, and I something happens that right before that makes you know that like kind of makes that click. I won't. I, I don't think we should yeah, say yeah, what yeah. happens in that regard. But um. But the guy's like, you need to listen to me. This woman is a spirit. She's an evil spirit. Mm -hmm. And I will help exercise her for you. And he's Mm -hmm. like, like after the guy, like really, really tries to convince him, finally does, which takes a while, but because he's so under her spell. But then the guy like writes Sanskrit words all over his body. And so he goes back to the house. She hugs him and is like, what? You, you know, you have writing all over your body. And that's what kind of brings it all to a head. It all um, falls apart. But you were talking about in the previous take, like the the spiritual shots versus the reality shots. I wonder yeah. if you maybe wanted to go back into that. Yeah. So what I was saying pretty much um, is how the movie um, differentiates like dreamscapes and paranormal scapes or whatever. Um, escapes escapes. It's, it's doing it in a way that I don't think I've ever seen. Um, in that it is not a ghost movie necessarily. I mean, she's a ghost, but there's an encompassing sense of the spiritual world in this movie. There's a feeling that every single interaction in this movie between human characters, between ghost characters, <laughs> humans and ghosts, <laughs> that there's that there's a spiritual presence that is magnified depending on who's in the scene. Um, and I don't mean, you know, we go to the ghost house and there's the ghost. It's just, you know, the characters all praise Buddha. And um, to me, that speaks to a, like the the spirits of this movie are in the blood and in the grass and in the water and in the fog and in the space between the characters and it takes over the whole movie and when those spirits start to come to the surface in the more paranormal or whatever parts of the movie the movie like on the camera on the lens they have this uh this like hazy filter on, on it or something. I, I don't know what, what they did specifically. Well, it's like a circular focus that yeah. makes the edges of the, of the shots like blur, a little haze, blurry, like a little yeah. blurry. And it just creates this haze. It creates this, this fog well, to and, things. And it's like tunnel vision. Yeah. Look. Yeah. Like, like there's, mm-hmm. it, there's a feeling which is unsettling to you as a viewer before you realize it, that there's no peripheral vision. Yeah. You're only seeing like, the center of everything and something is happening around, mm-hmm. which is interesting. I was just thinking about that today. Do you ever like turn your head too fast, especially in the morning when your eyes aren't warmed up Yeah, and you like see like a little movement or something in the corner of your eye. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is like, is there a movie or a book where it's like demons live in the peripheral vision in your peripheral? There are know. always demons around you, but then when you look at them, they disappear. Doctor who? Yeah. No, I forget. Someone tell me if you know. Um, Someone tell Charlie if you know. But like that, 
to me is encapsulated in the way this is shot. Like yeah. there's something happening in the peripheral vision. Um, um, it's really fucking cool. It's really cool. Um, I disagree. I want to say we've been doing a lot of talking, but we haven't even talked about the MVP of this whole movie. And that is our the Lord cinema, and savior. God, the cinematographer of God. this movie Oh yeah, is yeah, the yeah, yeah. fucking most voted player. Absolutely valuable. Well, voted for me. Voted? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Is the most valuable player. Shut up. You're leaving that in. <laughs> I'll kill you. I'm going to edit that. No. Um, Kazuo Miyagawa, who, yeah. while, while we, before we get into it, he shot Rashomon. Oh. He shot Yojimbo. He shot. Sancho the Bailiff. He shot Floating Weeds. He, he shot, shot Kennedy. Stre- Street of Shame. <laughs> and um, what else did he shoot? The Emoji Movie. Really? No. <laughs> no. I actually believe really? it for like a half second. <laughs> um, yeah, one of the greats. One of the greats. And his work on this movie is so phenomenal. Yeah. In 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 a way that's not like you know, I love Roger Deakins, but sometimes in movies it's just flexing. You can tell it's Roger Deakins flexing. Blade Runner 2049 is just how awesome can we make this look? And it looks fucking awesome. But with Yugetsu, everything is so infused in the story and the characters. It's like the most pitch perfect um cinematography got for lack of a better uh, you know it's magic detail it's magic that i that i might have ever seen it's seriously out of this world uh it's so beautiful it is such a beautiful hunting film to look at yeah i would love to like have the the film just like the visuals just like cover the walls of my room. Yeah. I, I honestly could watch it again right now. If we had time, I would watch it again. Just put it on and just enjoy it again a second time. I won't be doing that, but you should. I'm not saying I'm going <laughs> to do that. No, I know, I know, I know. Um, yeah. It, it, I, I can't get over the way this movie looks. And, you know, in the preamble, I talked about how, how bold Kurosawa and Ozu are as directors. And for a lot of this movie, I was like, I'm not really seeing Mitsuguchi's thing. You know, Kurosawa has, a, has things. Ozu has a thing. Um, these kind of rules that they, they adhere to. Hmm. Ozu more so than Kurosawa. And obviously, this is the first film I've seen of Mitsuguchi. And more, the more films I see, the more things might lock into place. But for a while, I was like, I don't necessarily see a specific style that I can pit like point at as Mitsuguchi. Hmm. But as the film went along, I really changed my tune and I really felt the boldness of, of it. It is not like flashy. It's not a flashy movie, but it is bold. 
Can I read you the opening line of this Letterboxd review I just read? Sure. Men will literally go to no, the, the it, before no, it's really going funny to therapy. Because it, it like totally fits with what I saw in the movie. This is by Comrade Yui. Feels like there's no one more... There's no one more... There's. <laughs> I can't read. Feels like there's no... There's no one... Okay, this sentence is just... Holy shit, read it. Feels like there's no one more misandrist filmmaker than Mitsuguchi. All the men in his films are pathetic bastards consumed by their own cowardice and idiocy. Meanwhile, all the women bear all the consequences of those sins and the responsibility for giving them. I completely agree. I feel like he is really critical of men, the men in this film. And also just like the idea that men are strong and should lead society. Like he makes it really- He's an SJW. Sarah Jessica Parker. (laughs) (laughs) Wall Street Journal backwards. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah. Anyway, great film. Anything else you want to say? This movie absolutely deserves to be canonized. This is one of the great movies. Yeah, I agree. I have some... I, I don't think I've said this yet on the podcast. Maybe I touched on it a little, but I've done, been doing some research and I've been reading, you know, some stuff about the sight and sound. And I found this Excel document with all the votes, uh-huh. like uh, every film ranked with the votes that it received. And I think that we need to, we need to fess up to the fact that we made a bit, a bit of a grave error. The sight and sound list is a compilation of scores ranked or assigned to films based on their inclusion on a one of the poll the polled people's top 10 list. So yeah. every film that's on this list is where it is because that is how many times it appeared. It would have, yeah, it was voted. So like in these polls. John Dioma has like 270 votes and the next highest is like 180. Yeah. But that's why the list is how, how it is. It's not like there is... No, some, I know. Well, I feel like in the earlier episodes, we talked about it as if someone had made the decision to put things places and like... The reason there are ties is because... Well, I mean, I think like... Yeah, we did. But I also think you can still engage with the list in a, in a way of... Not necessarily that one person did this, but this movie, regardless of how many votes, I disagree with... with the the poll of this with the idea that on a list of the hundred greatest movies of all time this is where it is yeah i just i felt like it was necessary in having a podcast about the sight and sound list to like talk about that because i'm just listening back to earlier episodes i'm like oh my god there is no one going you know what this movie should be number 20 or Mm. this should be 90 like like it's just a compilation it is but i i still feel strongly about um the placement of certain of certain movies on this list to me it's like yeah. um if if we're polling all the great thinkers about cinema um and what they think are the greatest movies of all time and they're not and get out if no if fucking parasite isn't a little higher or ugetsu or black girl but, then mean, we might be a little out of touch. Well, that's that is why I brought it up is because I think it gives us a like a better ability to talk about it, taking into consideration the fact that it, it's a compilation. So why is it that the films are included are upheld yeah. by so many people and others aren't? That being said, 
I think that the controversy of this most recent list and the fact that this list expanded the people polled, I believe, mm-hmm. really greatly and to like younger people and to you know, more people of color and women and et cetera. Um, I think that that's why we're seeing more it's a step new, forward. Yeah, it's a step forward. And we're, and we're starting to we're still shaking off the like. Unnecessary. The Maxo Fools movie. <laughs> well, right, and like there are schools of thought about film yeah. that are entrenched. Are entrenched, especially in like older white film totally. scholars and athletes and stuff. But I'll say one thing, man. If anything's making the cut from the old school to the new school, Ugetsu is staying on that fucking list. Man. I dig that, and I think that like. But that's what's cool. I, that's what's cool about us, like watching all of these, and like anybody else who's doing that is like, yeah. you know, we can try to help be torchbearers for these films that, like, I, I'd never heard of this. Uh-huh. I mean, not to say that it would have been forgotten had I never watched it, but like, I will be a champion of Ugetsu. I'll be a yeah. champion of Black Girl. Of John Dealman. I'll be a champion of John Dealman. I can't a- wait to talk about that because of how controversial. Yeah, we probably won't make it. I'll be a champion wow. of. I'll be a fucking champion of Madame de Mister. Okay, dude. You found that will. movie. All right, die on that hill. Okay, you'll you'll be that the sole warrior on the front lines alone. Yeah, Madame Duh. Isn't it cool how they wear pretty dresses? Isn't this movie Shut great? The fuck up. Yeah, you know. Yeah, fuck get out. You done? No, not even close. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think you're. I'm gonna proclaim that you're done. Here's what but, I um, think: the fact that Portrait of a Lady on Fire is so high on this list proves that people are like, I just like this one. That there's no attempt to be like, I. These are the greatest movies of all time. It's just like, yeah, but I what? just like this. I completely one. disagree. I think the Portrait would. of a Lady on Fire is. I, we've talked about this too many times. <laughs> We're not gonna watch the movie for like seventy weeks, so we should can it. <laughs> However. I'm not going to let you say that as if it's true. That is, you oh, didn't. Oh, no, they no, like no, each no, no. other. Here's I'm going to put it on my list. Here's what this should illuminate for you. Not that so many people were like, I just like this one. It's that you should realize that you just didn't like it. But That's that, not true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I um, didn't not just like it. So returning to Ugetsu, I. This one's a banger. It's a banger. And it's it, so good. I, I'm, I'm so happy to have been introduced to it. Um, it's so good that Charlie and I, I, well, I'll speak for myself when, you know, we lost the first take of our conversation. I was genuinely distressed because of how much I love this movie from just watching it. And, um, the, the, my sadness at losing any, any sort of conversation about it because I think it deserves all the talk. And we were really excited. We were really excited. Those were 15 enthusiastic minutes. And you guys will never fucking hear them. The lost tapes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think it's great. I I totally see the influence that's had. I mean, I feel like, I mean, Miyazaki was tremendously influenced by Mitsuguchi. Like I can I can trace a direct line from Ugetsu to like Princess Mononoke and I don't know, other films. Yeah. Um, or Princess Kaguya it's, it's too. It's also like, but it's different. You know, you watch um, High and Low or Seven Samurai, and I'm going to keep drawing these comparisons to and Kurosawa and Ozu. Well, 
even Tokyo Story, you see you see a lot of influence in movies where you know they, you can just tell mm. they got that from Ozu. They got that from yeah, Kurosawa. they stole that. And there's this feeling of man, Ugetsu's doing its own thing. It's hard to replicate. Like like you you can't like steal a, like a shot from this movie. It wouldn't I, make as much sense. I'm going to steal the cut, though. Steal the cut. Do your best. <laughs> Do your best to, to steal that cut because it's a fucking amazing cut. Um, but you steal. Pay homage to. Like, th- this is the kind of movie that I wouldn't even want to, like, um, use in a way hmm. as a filmmaker. I kind of disagree. I, I want to I would see... just want to stand back and yeah. just, like, just take it in because mm. it's so masterful. Yeah. I but what, s- were you, what were you saying? Sorry. I just want to see HBO's limited series. You know, you cut me off a lot and I fucking let, I was like, what'd you say? Because I cut you off no. and you just said some bullshit. Yeah, I did. And I'm never going to do that again. If I cut you off, then I'm just going to steal the soul from now. You're, <laughs> Charlie's looking down and like fettle, fettling with his cable. <laughs> Like he, like a child who got caught. Well, you actually didn't cut me off. I cut you off, honey. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm giving you that. I am. Not only was it bullshit and stupid, <laughs> I cut you off. Don't t- say that you cut me off because you did nothing wrong. Okay. You didn't. <laughs> okay, man. Um. Except that. <laughs> I think that about does it. I I kind of want to I want to watch this movie again. I loved it so much. It was so good. Um, I want to watch Love Under the Crucifix again. Now, yeah, Crazy. we should watch that sometime. We should. We should, man. Um, I, I really didn't like it, but who knows? Well, what are we watching next week? Do you know? Yee yee yee, motherfucking yee. I'm so yee, excited to watch this movie. I've seen it before. Um, it's amazing. It is one of it's an epic, epic movie. Um, I love it so much. It kind of makes you walk around your apartment after it and just kind of think about stuff. And it just, it kind of shuts you up watching Yee Yee. So I'm, I'm especially excited to watch it with Charlie so that, it, that hack, gabaha, gabaka. That bastard will shut up. Is yeah, that what you're saying? I was trying to be funny, but I oh. stumbled over my words. Yeah, it's usual. Either way. Yee Yee, very excited. Edward Yang, Taiwan, 2000. Um, what else is it? What, what's coming up after that? What is, what's some other stuff we can look forward to? Uh, Yee Yee. The Shining is coming the up. The Shining, which Blue we will Velvet. have a guest for. Blue Velvet, which will be really fun. This We got a, we got a good couple. Brighter ones. Summer Day is coming up. Really? No. Because if Brighter Summer Day is coming up, then Satan Tango is coming up. That's in the 70s. I and Histoire du Cinema is coming up. <laughs> I can't. I seriously can't wait for that one, dude. Histoire du Cinema. Yeah. I'm, I'm terrified. Oh, my God. I'm going to play on my phone the whole time. Anyways. No, you aren't. You have to watch it. All right. Thank Come you so on. much for listening. Um, we we're we're, we're going to go watch Ugetsu again. And uh, see you on the next one. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.